Two men keenly watch the eastern side of the camp of David as the sun begins to set. These men are on duty. As the entire camp is on pins and needles, these two men look, not knowing if or when they will be asked to defend themselves. As these men survey the horizon, examining the hills, the light begins to fade. One of them recognizes movement to the southeast. Hey, did you see that? He pointed with his finger to a far-off dot that's in motion. Yeah, I did, the other replies. Both men stand transfixed on the mysterious moving dot. Eventually, it becomes clear that this dot is a person. Confused, they look at each other, not sure why a single man would be running to their camp. After all, they were expecting to see the armies of King Saul marching and searching for them and their leader, David. Saul wants to rid himself of his David problem. He's jealous of him. And these men have been fearing for their lives as Saul has been taunting and threatening David. Saul sees David as a threat to his throne, and they've been on the run ever since. The two men look at each other, both thinking, why would a single man be running toward them? After all, how did he know where they were? Is this a friend? Is this an enemy? Is this a spy? As the person came closer and closer, they began to see that this, this man was not running calmly and confidently, but in fear and horror. They could see it on his face. And the closer that he came, the, the more they could recognize that this person was actually a priest of God. He was dressed in the violet robe of the ephod that was typical priestly attire. Soon, the priest identified himself, saying, I am a priest of Yahweh and a friend of David. Help me. The two guards ran to meet him. Out of breath, he yelled, get David. They killed them. They killed them all. On their way into camp, the two guards called others to take their place on watch and ran to the tent of David, saying to him, David, Abiathar, son of Ahiatubis, is here to see you. Speak, David exclaimed. Out of breath, Abiathar's voice dropped. Doeg found out. He found out that Ahimelech helped you. He saw him give you the sword of Goliath and, and help you discern where the Lord is leading you. When Doeg told King Saul, he continues, Saul lost it. He went crazy and ordered the guards to kill all the priests of the Lord because of what Ahimelech had done. But the guards, they wouldn't do it. So Doeg did. He took his sword and he struck them down. All of them. He even burned Nob, the town of the priests. He burned it to the ground. I barely escaped. And I ran straight here to where I heard you were hiding, because there's no other place that I could go. David stood up, stone-faced. The three men standing in front of him could see behind the expressionless face anger, sadness, grief. Calmly, David said to the exhausted Abiathar, Stay with me, he said. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you has been trying to kill me too. You'll be safe here. After he spoke, 
spoke, David got up and left. He walked away from camp. He didn't know where he was going. He just knew he had to get away. How could this happen, David thought. Why would God let these people die? How could Doeg think that he could get away with it? Doesn't he know that every man and woman will be judged by God? How come it looks so often like the bad man is the one that thrives and the good man dies? He stopped, now a few hundred yards out from camp, and yelled at the sky, God, this doesn't make any sense to me. Years later, we sometimes look up at that same sky David did. We look up and we ask the same questions. God, this doesn't make sense to me. Why does it seem like bad people are the ones who win at life? Why are there people who say mean things about me behind my back and they're the popular ones? Why do their jokes about me or my friends make everyone else laugh? Why does my coworker, the one who lies and cheats, why is he the one who gets the promotion, not the ones who work hard and deserve it? Why do we see violence and oppression in our world, and the ones who are doing it are getting away scot-free? Maybe you too have gotten stone-faced, like David, filled with anger and frustration, sadness and grief, and you just had to Get out, go for a walk, and get your mind off of it. You see, in moments like this, it can be really easy to listen to the voices in our head that say, an eye for an eye. Just give them a taste of their own medicine. It seems to be working, right? I can imagine David felt this way, but that's not the direction that he goes. Heading outside of camp, David begins talking to himself addressing to Saul and Doeg for what they've done to the priests and his friends. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin, he says. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent, uproot you from the land of the living. Taking all of his emotions, he plants them firmly in the arms of God. God, do what you say you'll do. Judge the world with righteousness pacing back and forth outside of camp, he says to himself over and over again, surely God will, surely God will. He is the Lord. I know he's in control, even though I can't see it. He is in control. David remembers the stories that he's heard from his father and brothers and from the time that he spent in the palace of Saul. Stories of how God has been faithful and just, how he's always been true to his word and his covenant. Maybe he remembered how God had led the Israelites into the wilderness, and when they came across the mighty city of Jericho, told them to march around the walls, and they came down. Or how God led his people out of Egypt through the mighty plagues that he sent against the powers of darkness in the land of Egypt in the house of Pharaoh. David, so captivated in these thoughts and emotions, didn't see one of his best friends and advisors who had been standing at a distance, looking at David, listening quietly to his grief-filled words. People who don't trust the Lord get, gets what coming for them, David continues to preach to himself. His friend Elohid interrupts the pacing David eventually. Are you okay? he asks, as any good friend would do. He sits down and listens to David's anger and frustration. His pacing slows, 
And David stares at the ground, asking, How is Abiathar, the priest? He's resting. He's safe, replies Elohid. David nods and sits down on the rock beside him, and the two friends sit in silence for a few minutes. Eventually, it's Elohid who speaks up. You know, he says, some people spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of life, trying to get ahead, trying to impress the right people, trying to build wealth and status, and then once they reach the top, they find out that the ladder they've been climbing is leaning up against the wrong wall. What do you mean, David chimes back. What I mean is that what Saul and Doeg are worshipping is power and status. And they're doing anything they can to get it. They're not worshipping God. And they're climbing the wrong ladder. Because having power won't give them the happiness they're looking for. David nods. But, he says, but why does God let this happen? Why does he let them do such terrible things? Elohim drops his head and stares at the ground, as if he knows that both men know the answer to the question, but don't like it. I don't know, he replies. David's head drops to the ground, too. Thoughts about the past few weeks of being on the run paired with the latest news continues to play through their minds. Eventually, David stands up. God has been faithful in the past, he says, and he loves his people. We both know that. It's okay to be mad at God, you know, Elohim interrupts. This is something that God is mad at, too. He can handle your honesty. I know, David replies. Someone told me a while ago, David continues, that if God is great enough for us to be mad at because he allows this kind of evil and suffering in the world, then he's also a God great enough to have reasons for allowing it to continue. The two men sat in silence for a few more minutes. David looked at Elohim and said, God wants us to cry out to him in these moments. He wants us to be honest with him in prayer. He, he wants to show us his unfailing love. Elohim eventually stood, embraced his friend, and headed back to camp. David, though, continued to sit, putting into words his thoughts and feelings. After a while, he too returned to camp. Months passed by. Years passed by, and David didn't look at that poem, Psalm 52, the one that he had penned that night. He didn't look at it again. Until one day when he came to see the depth of God's love in a new way. Because one day David realized that when he wrote these words, these angry, raw words of disgust about Saul and Doeg, about how their words were dishonest and full of evil, that he wasn't just talking about them. He was actually talking about himself, too. See, David began making bad choices. He stole. He cheated. He orchestrated a murder, all because he had to have what his heart wanted, no matter what the cost. He began climbing the wrong ladder, 
But thankfully for David, somebody caught him before he could reach the top. The prophet Nathan was on to him, and he confronted David with his sin against Bathsheba, and then covering it up with the murder of Uriah. Nathan's confrontation sunk deep into David's heart, and I wonder if David, full of remorse, ran back to his notebook, flipping wildly through the pages until he found this psalm and these words that he wrote, Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? David realized that he was actually writing about himself. He was the bad man. We are too. On our own, we can't seem to get it right, even when we're trying so hard. We like things our way too much. Don't get in my way, God, we say. I can do this myself. I know what's best for me. I don't need you. But what if we don't know what's best for us? I think we all eventually discover this one way or another. David did. He realized his mistake, and he cried out to God again in Psalm 51. This time he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. For I, you know all of my transgressions, and my sin is before you. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Both Psalms, Psalm 52, and 51, David cries out to God's unfailing love. In Psalm 52, it's against his enemies. In Psalm 51, it's because he is the enemy. Years later, we get a picture of God's unfailing love. It looks like this. It looks like Jesus on the cross. It says so in the book of John, this, this famous words that we hear so often, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. Because when the sun was setting and the crowds were looking up at three Roman crosses on a hill called Golgotha, they saw a man who was known as Jesus, a real radical, a person claiming to be the son of God being crucified. And Jesus took the insults. He took the deception. He lived through a false trial and let it take him to the cross. He could have said a word and a hundred angels would have come and rescued him. But he hung there silently, filled with pain. What we often forget is that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus there, it was love. It was his unfailing love for us that kept him on that cross. On the cross, Jesus became King Saul, Doeg, David, me, and you. Because of his great love for us, he did away with our sin. But Jesus didn't just die. He, he rose again from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because he is risen, he has defeated death 
on our behalf. Having faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, it sets us free, free from the guilt of our lying words, free from the guilt of our lust for power, and the guilt of hurting God and others as a result. In front of us this morning is a meal. It's a sign and a seal to us of the life that we receive by accepting Jesus as our Lord. Through faith in him, we don't have to take on the trouble in our life on our own. We don't have to go behind people's backs to solve problems or to make ourselves feel important. God is the ultimate caretaker. After all, he rules the whole universe, big and small. And the Lord of the universe loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. This means we don't have to hide the person that we are. The person that we are when nobody's watching, or the things that we've done that nobody knows. Christ knows them and has done away with them. The guilt of your sin is gone. Jesus loves you just as you are. We can take and eat, take and drink, and proclaim that we are freed and forgiven through Christ. This doesn't explain why God let bad things happen to good people. Nobody knows the answer to that question. But we can see God's unfailing love shown to us through the cross and know that the things that happen in our world don't happen because God doesn't love us. That becomes clear through Jesus. And so we can live into this. We can cry out to God when we see injustice and grief, when things in our world don't make sense and don't work like they're supposed to. And we can look forward to when Christ comes back and makes things right. What a great day that will be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you that you showed us your great love for us on the cross and continue to fill us and nourish us with your spirit that leads us to live as forgiven people. Lord, as we prepare ourselves to come to the table and receive the nourishment through the bread and the cup, God, we pray that this would sink deep into our hearts. Help us to live knowing that you are in control. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.